Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Elaine Marshall, the seven-term Secretary of State of the State of North Carolina, is our guest. As, I, as we were beginning the program, it's hard to believe that, uh, uh, Elaine, you've been in that job now for 25 years. And during that time, we've had the opportunity to visit with you at least once a year. So uh, this is a renewal of a long-time tradition here on Carolina Newsmakers to have you as our guest, and we're delighted to have you back. I certainly appreciate this opportunity to talk to folks and talk about the Secretary of State's office. Now, for those folks well, that are not long-term North Carolinians, you know that I'm nowhere close to Mr. Thad Yor's record in office. Well, that's true. How long, how long was he in office? 56 years, same office. I think he's still 50. the longest serving person in America in any one office. That That's incredible. And he referred to himself as the, what, the oldest rat in the barn or something of that nature? Oldest rat in the Democratic barn. And a really funny story is that uh, I've been in office about six months and there was a lovely, a lady with lovely handwriting. So I'm assuming I can date her because of having penmanship. And she asked me to personally see what I could do to quit making people talk bad about Mr. York because they was calling, they were calling him the oldest rat in the barn. And I had to write back and say, I am terribly sorry. I heard that come out of his mouth himself, that he proudly bore that mantle. So <laughs> it was pretty funny. But she was upset and well, thought I should set the record straight. For those, uh, you mentioned those who are new to the state of North Carolina, and also uh, as a reminder for those who have been living here for some time, let's, uh, if you would, spend a little bit of time talking about exactly what the duties are, because uh, this particular office varies so much from state to state. What are the duties of the Secretary of State of the state of North Carolina? What are you principally charged with uh, being responsible for? Well, our job is for, to facilitate capital formation. We're really the heartbeat of business. We're the lead state agency in providing crucial business data that is free to the marketplace for them to assess and evaluate risk. Uh, every day we assess millions of buy, sell, lend, contract, borrow, and invest transactions. Uh, we also have a, a protective function also, a consumer protection. We regulate the securities industry through education and enforcement. We have the charitable solicitation licensing. That's also an education component and enforcement. Then we have trademark registration for state level, but enforcement of any trademark out there. And then we have notary registration, which again, we have education and enforcement responsibilities. Uh, so uh, let's, let's focus a little bit uh, on the uh, uh, job of of keeping up with North Carolina's uh, corporations and businesses, because when a business forms a corporation or a LLC, uh, they have to register with your office. Tell us a little bit about the difference of the kinds of corpor uh, corporations and LLCs that we have in the state of North Carolina. Well, we have a large variety. Um, when I say business entities, I'm talking about corporations like C-Corps. I'm talking about LLCs. PLLCs, nonprofit organizations, and some of these other lesser well-known but alphabet soup initial kind of business um, structures. Uh, but most of those are corporations and LLCs. LLCs are by far and away uh, very, very popular. They're easier to form. 
the advantage legally is that you don't have to file a separate corporate tax return and pay a corporate uh, tax fee of uh, inter- if, uh, you know tax if that's appropriate. Uh, it just flows through to the individuals. Uh, and what we're seeing is that people are dividing their potential liability. Uh, when I drive by a new construction for what's going to be a convenience store or a fast food place, that generally represents at least two, maybe more LLCs. I say that because the land is frequently held in one LLC and the actual business is in another LLC. And then sometimes they have janitorial contacts or service contracts within their organization that's a third. I went to a convenience store owner's um, convention and one gentleman proudly told me he had 56 LLCs. And that was a couple of years ago. So I think he probably has more today. Well, yeah, LLC stands for Limited Liability Company. company. Right. Yeah. And uh, so in the eyes of a law, an LLC is, is like a person or a corporation is like a person. That's exactly right. They have rights and responsibilities just like a person. Well, uh, you know, uh, of course, um, the LLC came into existence for about uh, 20 years ago in North Carolina because uh, it, it made it easier than some of the longstanding features of a regular uh, corporation, either C or sub S, uh, and got rid of some of the stuff that had become sort of, I guess, archaic in a way and not necessary. And uh, so it's a modern form of governance. That's correct. We started them either 93, 94. I was in the General Assembly. It really grew out of the Arthur Anderson Enron uh, matter where uh, uh, Arthur Anderson had responsibility and it became a burden of every partner of Arthur Anderson around the country when they didn't know what was going on in Houston, Texas. And so that was the real momentum behind uh, LLCs getting started. And it's become very, very popular. So how many do we have in North Carolina totally? Um, on our database, we have about uh, 750, 800,000 active business entities. Now that includes what I said, all of that list of, of types. But let me tell you what's going on right now. I kind of thought with the pandemic that, and everybody was worried about things in the economy and rightfully so, and some parts of the economy didn't fare very well. But I thought, you know, business activity would be down. I was as wrong as I could have been. Starting last year in June, we started averaging 500 more a month than we normally did. And then the next month, 1,000 more. And then we jumped from about averaging 10, 11,000 new corporations or entities a month up to 15 and 17,000. And here we are, we are coming up on the third quarter of this calendar year. And sometime in late July or early August, we will equalize the number of new corporations that we, new entities that we had done the year before. Uh, The world has been on fire. Now, what's interesting is um, we we wanted to know a lot more about these new entities. We're trying to do a better job to nurture them along. And so we've started a survey in June of, when the uptake uptake started in June of 20, uh, we did started a survey June of 2021, and now we're doing the July batch trying to find out, are you still in business? What county are you are you operating in, which may be different than what you're locating in? Did you start this because you lost a job, you saw an opportunity, on and on and on? We found out that 80% of them are still in business. Uh, we found out that uh, a 
approximately the same number had at least revenues of $25,000. We found a small percentage of them of the new businesses had revenues in excess of a million dollars. And so we're going to try to monitor these things to figure out uh, where, uh, where they are in their life cycle. We also have put these on a map of North Carolina. And I won't bore you with having you guess which county had the greatest improvement in the number of corporations and LLCs, but I will tell you it was Scotland County, North Carolina. Now, when you're a small county and you don't have a whole lot, so a small number, you know, exponentially gets you a high percentage, but they were 211,000 over what uh, they had the prior year. And most of our small counties have had in excess of 100% or in the high 90s. Um, places like Mecklenburg and Wake didn't have quite the, those percentages because a lot of our companies are located in the more metropolitan communities. But I was thrilled to see business activity, uh, entrepreneurs out there widespread across North Carolina. And I'm just prayerful and we're gonna work real hard to make sure that those stay alive and continue to be productive. Um, better than 50% of them had three employees, which was very good news. Well, it's interesting I mean, was, because if you, if you go back 14 or 15 months from uh, now back to say March or April of 2020, we all were very worried that businesses were going to fall apart and that the state revenues were going to be down. And, and, uh, uh, and as you said, you were anticipating uh, a lot of, uh, or slow down in the formation of new businesses. It just didn't happen. I mean, just did it, not happen. the so, opposite happened. Yeah. I'm, I'm so proud so of North Carolina entrepreneurs. I, I just, I'm glowing. Well, we, we have certainly survived well and are in position to move ahead. And of course, North Carolina continues to grow. And as the census, when we finally get the census data, whenever that is, the final count, uh, it looks like we're going to be getting closer to 11 million people in North Carolina. Uh, and that's that puts us in the big leagues. Well, stay tuned with us on this survey because we only had really one month's worth and now we're in our second month. You know, we'll get a better picture when we're four, five, six months out on the anniversary date of these corporations and LLCs. So what percentage tuned. of those new businesses, I think you alluded to this, uh, were formed because people lost jobs and uh, actually began to become self-employed? Well, it was uh, in the teens and it was 70% that said because they saw an opportunity. Now, I guess maybe we need to refine the question a little bit because that might be an overlap. They lost a job, but they saw an opportunity at the same time. And that's a little bit more positive than putting down because you lost a job. Well, you know, as we've all said about surveys, the most important thing is the question because in many cases you can ask a question and get whatever answer you want. Right. Uh, right mislead the person into giving the wrong answer and that's uh, uh, one of the problems of any kind of survey work or research work it, of course the other joke is uh, we always say that figures lie and liars figure that's what i've heard yeah well uh so what uh we've got a couple more minutes in this segment uh, what are the biggest changes that affected your office because of COVID 19 what changes did you make in your mode of operation well a large part of the agency went home to work. Um, we basically had maybe 30 out of 175 people in every day because cash management, opening envelopes and making deposits is pretty hard to do remotely. We also uh, had some functions that require face-to-face 
uh, live original documents. That's stuff that's gone into international. Um, so that that required people to be in. But better than 70% of my people went home. Now, we did not have enough equipment to send them home. We were not prepared. If somebody had said, be a good idea if I had 75 laptops on the shelf somewhere uh, at the beginning of the year, I'd have told them they were nuts. That wasn't a very good way to invest our money. But we had to cobble together and we were able to get more. And some of our employees, uh, managers went out and bought headsets for people. Um, because We just didn't have that. We were able to reimburse them. We've been able to, with COVID money to get uh, more equipment. Now, I have some folks who do not have reliable internet at their homes. I have some folks that, uh, uh, you know, they don't have internet in their neighborhood at all. Uh, so, um, you know, it was a struggle and we, we've worked with people in and out, in and out. Um, and uh, I've been very pleased with the productivity of the folks. Um, they, they have stuck to it. They've worked overtime. They've worked uh, weekends to, to do what needs to be done because we had an awful lot of reinstating to do. And then the annual report time came right on top of it. So I'm so proud of them. Elaine Marshall is our guest. She's the North Carolina Secretary of State. We'll be back with another segment of Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're going to go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you going to do? You're going to go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You got to dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. I know you won't because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. One in three adults in America have prediabetes, but most don't know it. To let people know it can be reversed before it becomes type 2 diabetes, professional basketball player Julius Randle is doing everything in reverse. I'm only dunking with reverse windmills. I drove the whole way to practice in reverse. I don't recommend it. This move's called the reverse shuffle. I do recommend it. And it took me months to learn how to speak in reverse, like this. <clears throat> Here's 10 almost for diabetes type 2 with living then has my mom. In other words, my mom has been living with type 2 diabetes for almost 10 years. So together, we want to say to the 84 million Americans at risk, exercise and healthy eating can help reverse prediabetes. Start by taking a simple one-minute risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. <laughs> Bet he can't say that in reverse. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest is Elaine Marshall. She's the uh, North Carolina Secretary of State. Has been in the office, as we said, for 25 years now. Seven terms she's been elected. She was the first uh, female elected to a statewide office in the state of North Carolina. And that uh, that is something that uh, I'm sure you're very proud of, Elaine, and, 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 and well should be, because that uh, opened the door to a, a great number of uh, candidates who have 
now sought uh, office and uh, and are serving in many cases. We uh, uh, executive office. We want, uh, we want we to statewide. turn out. I'm sorry. Go had, go right here. We had statewide judges. I'm the first to executive office. I see. Okay. Um, thank you for that correction. Um, I wanted to turn to the General Assembly. The General Assembly is in session now. Do, is there any legislation that you are seeking to have done that will affect and uh, improve the services that you offer the, the citizens of North Carolina? Um, there are several pieces of legislation that we're very, very interested in. If I can take you back a little bit to when the state kind of closed down the third week of March, uh, my telephone started ringing from real estate professionals, uh, law people that did a lot of real estate. And uh, since we are the notary commission people and training people, they said, now, how are we going to do notary? That requires in North Carolina face-to-face -face, uh, transactions. So we immediately did some best practices things to communicate to the notary public out there about how to, to do things. And these were simple common sense things, but people needed to hear from the state entity that deals with this. And there were some things on there that they probably hadn't thought about, you know, how to, how to do things. Um, and we were seeking from the governor an executive order, but uh, to make uh, a remote uh, video transaction be the equivalency of a face-to-face -face personal appearance and um, that was not possible to do by executive order um, because it didn't relate to the health and the things that could be done with executive order only. It had to, it was a change of statute. If the person to person appearance would have been one of my rules, it, it could have been an executive order, but because it was in the statute, it had to be a um, measure of the general assembly. So I talked with both the speaker and the president pro tem, and they both agreed as lawyers that they knew we needed to do something. So we did all of the, the templates and the rules and regulations or, or procedures uh, for the video um, use for um, notarization, and it got enacted when they came into session. And that has worked fairly well. Now um, that the pandemic is winding down, there are some folks that want remote notarizations forever and forever. And uh, we are not opposed to that. What we are opposed to with the legislation that is running through the General Assembly is that it would apply to signers of documents anywhere in the world. And the version that some people want would have the notary here in North Carolina, but one signer could be in Tennessee and one signer could be in Japan or you know, pick a place in the world. Now, if something goes wrong with that document, where is jurisdiction? If jurisdiction is North Carolina, in my example, I gave a North Carolina notary, how do I do an investigation or anybody do an investigation as far flung as the places that I mentioned in my commentary there? So transboundary part of it is the part that's a big hang up. Uh, for us. And if that does get enacted, because there's some powerful forces that are interested in just a wide open uh, remote video notarization, um, <clears throat> there's going to have to be some serious upgrade to the resources here in order to do what's necessary. And, um, you know, it's going to take an appropriation to help out. So that's one of the pieces of legislation that we're following. 
<clears throat> Another piece of legislation is the Advanced Healthcare Directory. Again, it kind of relates back to the notary thing. Um, it, it, the signing of a, an Advanced Healthcare Directory had a procedure that required a notary or required two witnesses. So they softened up the witness requirement on that, and we were comfortable with that. Now there's some other things that are pending uh, on changes to the Advanced Healthcare Directory, which we maintain here, and they're for the most part positive things. I just wish they would make it for free. Uh, that the General Assembly would take care of the cost of operating that as it is, there is a small fee for the advanced healthcare directory, which is what it uh, is used to pay for the person who has to do all that work. <clears throat> uh, those are the two main things that we're following. There is also a nonprofit bill that is pending that would be a dramatic change. Uh, it, nonprofits now do not have to file an annual report. Um, way back in the beginning in 92 or 90, no, it was even before I came in. So it was late 80s, early 90s um, when annual reports were created, nonprofits were included. But there was a um, strong feeling among religious institutions in particular that having to report where they're located was too much of an intrusion into um, state uh, matters by a government entity. What what we have with our database is a lot of very old, out-of-date data. We have addresses for nonprofits that's like Route 1, Cove City, North Carolina. We have used the uh, federal mail cross-match, and they don't have matches for a lot of these. If you're a member of a civic club like Lions Club or Rotary or uh, Civitans, if you go look up in the nonprofit, a database, you will find that your organization has chapters in towns that haven't been in existence for 20 or 30 years. Because there's not, you know, they're supposed to dissolve and let us know if they're not in business. In the co corporate world, if someone's no longer in business and they miss filing their annual reports after a period of time, we, by law, administratively dissolve them. There is no similar law in not, well, because there's no annual reports, uh, there's nothing. So we got a lot of dead wood, really dead wood on our nonprofit database. Um, so there is a movement to um, have nonprofits file reports. Um, and I am a bystander on that uh, because without a whole lot of resources, um, that's my main thing. I think it would be good to have annual reports from the point of maintaining a, a good database. Um, but I understand that uh, there are going to be a lot of people that object to that. And so um, they need to put some oomph behind it at the General Assembly. And right now that's kind of floundering around down there. Uh, I don't know if it'll happen. If it does happen, then we will be tasked with an overwhelming job of trying to notify these folks and in a process of however many years, then dissolve them because we haven't heard from them. And we may be inadvertently dissolving people that um, shouldn't be dissolved. So we're just trying to be in that battle, an information provider of, of good information. Uh, the other part of it is there's some members at the General Assembly that want to require it to be filed electronically. As much in my heart as I might like that, that's going to preclude some people, some organizations from being able to file. Now that number is getting smaller and smaller every year. 
But remember, we've got places in this state that, where folks don't have internet connections, let alone good quality broadband connections. Um, so um, we're still willing to, you know, take these things and we do get a lot by mail. Um, you know, are we ready to move to total electronic filing um, in any of our areas? I'm not advancing that. It's my wish that we would, but I'm, I'm not uh, the one that's going to be pushing that it has to be that way because I know that's going to leave a lot of people out. and We've got enough inequality problems uh, of all sorts of varieties. And so this does not need to be one more. It needs to be easy for them to start businesses and comply with the state. And if that's by mail, then so be it. We're comfortable with that. Lisa has on my list of things to ask you about the NC Coalition for Global Competitiveness. Yes, sir. I am the co-chair of that organization. Tell me about it. Okay, okay. There's an organization known as Go Global, and um, this is a a part of it. It is now a, a totally nonprofit. It grew out of the um, University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. You will be proud to hear. Uh, the objective is for North Carolina to be the most globally competent uh, state in the union so that uh, our folks will be thinking about uh, the world as a market to sell their products, that, that our folks will be thinking that we are in a global world and we're all interconnected. And if the pandemic hasn't shown that, I do not know exactly what will. Uh, we want foreign direct investment to come here. We want foreign direct investment and the people that lead those organizations to know that we're culturally competent, that we're welcome. And so this is a collaboration between government, education, and business people uh, to uh, promote North Carolina's um, cult, international cultural status. Um, I've lived, I've been abroad enough to know that um, it's tough being a person that's different in another culture. Uh, and it is comforting to know when you're welcome and folks are willing to help you. Uh, we have a lot of school partnerships. I'm chair of the North Carolina Moldova partnership, and we currently have 50, over 50 classrooms connected to Moldovan classrooms. We've got classrooms in not the metro, we got them in the metropolitan counties, but I'm so proud of Onslow County that it's unbelievable. Uh, the, the superintendent down there and principals of the schools have told me that this is one of the most enriching programs they've ever had. These kids, it, you know, when I was growing up, it was pen pals, yeah, that we would write to and, you know, back and forth from, I, my pen pal was in Gainesville, Florida. You know, it was cool to, to, to share about our animals, about our life, about our holidays, that kind of stuff. Well, that's going on now virtually uh, with Moldova and North Carolina. And our students are, those that are studying Russian in our schools are aligned with Russian speaking areas of, of Moldova so that they can practice conversational Russian. Uh, the Moldovan uh, Minister of Education and the Democratic leaning president is very, very interested in English becoming um, a more widespread language there. So it's a great way for the students to um, develop their English skills. We just sent a 40 foot container with uh, about half with medical supplies and about half with surplus uh, books from our North Carolina Department of Public Instruction. And the medical supplies, some of them are donations of new products, but our hospitals surplus a lot of stuff after three years or four years, whatever they consider the life cycle to be. And we very graciously take those, put them in a warehouse 
and um, send them over there to a very, very deserving group of people. The thing about the Moldova partnership is that we, we know who the reliable players are on the ground. And we have North Carolina National Guard connection over there and a guard member there at the embassy uh, doing military relations. And so um, it's a very good, very good partnership. Um, so th th I'm chairing this. There's more than Moldova. I've gone on here about Moldova, but we're promoting all of those kinds of, of um, international relationships. There's an old hymn that says, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. And I truly believe person-to-person that person democracy is the best way. That's a great uh, a great project, and I'm glad you're involved in it. And I very much appreciate you taking time to share with us and our listeners this week. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com. So again, our thanks to Elaine Marshall, the North Carolina Secretary of State, for being with us. So until next week, same time, same station. I hope that you and yours have a very, very good week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.